0: Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, a nonprofit organization helping Maine build sustainable local organic food systems and presenting the Common Ground Country Fair in Unity on September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. More information at 568-4142 or mofka.org.
1: It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. In August, the EPA announced plans to weaken fuel efficiency standards by freezing them at current levels rather than following rules passed during the Obama administration that would make them tougher over time. The plan would also prevent states from setting their own stronger standards, as many already have, including Maine. The stated rationale is that small cars are not as safe as bigger vehicles and that stronger standards make vehicles more expensive. Critics of this proposal argue that pollution and climate change demand stronger, not weaker laws. A 60-day period for public comment on the proposal is currently underway. Last week, the Natural Resources Council of Maine held an event in Bangor called Maine Speaks on Climate and Cars, the Citizens' Hearing, and recorded public comments to be shared with the EPA. Today on Maine Currents, we'll bring you there and we'll let you know where you can submit comments yourself if you wish. This meeting was held on an evening when poor air quality warnings had been issued for the following day here in Maine, a fact that you'll hear mentioned by some of the speakers.
2: Um, but, yeah, thank you for joining us here tonight for the Citizens' Hearing on Climate and Cars. My name is Kristen Jackson. I'm the Federal Outreach Coordinator with the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Today, we're here to speak out against the Trump administration's recent announcement to flatline our fuel efficiency standards that make our air cleaner, save consumers money, and reduce our largest source of climate changing pollution. I first wanna give just a very brief background on the issue and the process so we're all on the same page. Then I'll introduce some of the speakers that we've lined up and then we'll have an opportunity for all of you to come up to the mic to make a public comment um, which we will transcribe and submit to the public record on this rule. So this process started earlier in 2018 when the EPA under then administrator Scott Pruitt announced it was going to take the first step to unravel our, na- our national fuel efficiency standards that were developed between the Obama administration, car makers, and other stakeholders. Those standards created a long-term pathway to cleaner cars reaching an average fuel efficiency of 54.5 miles per gallon by the year 2025. In early August, the EPA announced the proposal that we're here to talk about today which would be the final step to replace those fuel efficiency standards with weaker ones that allow for higher pollution levels and less fuel-efficient cars. This proposal would pollute Maine's air, threaten Mainers' health, and force Maine people to spend billions more dollars at the gas pump. The proposal adds insult to injury by also eliminating states' rights to set our own clean car standards. So for more than a decade, Maine and other states have used our rights under the Clean Air Act to limit tailpipe pollution beyond federal minimum requirements, Maine wants cleaner cars nationwide because upwind pollution is particularly harming for our state and our air quality. So we've done our part by using the best car standards available. But this proposed rollback puts all of that at risk. Before this rule takes effect, it requires public comment and final action by the EPA. So as I mentioned, we're in the midst of a 60-day public comment period. And all statements made by citizens here today, we are planning to transcribe and submit to that public record. Um, I can also give information to folks on how to submit comments after the fact if you're interested in hearing about that. Um, It's all on NRCM's website. But we're hoping to demonstrate loud and clear that Mainers oppose this harmful rollback proposal. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce our list of speakers. Um, And then again, we'll open up the mic to anyone who wants to make public comment. So, first up, we have Carol Woodcock, who is the state office representative to U.S. Senator Susan Collins.
3: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and make a few comments on behalf of Senator Collins. Appreciate the opportunity to discuss. Can you everybody hear me? Okay. Discuss the latest standards proposed by the Environmental Protection Agency. And the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which would roll back the existing tailpipe standards that regulate carbon dioxide emissions for passenger cars and light trucks covering model years 2021 to 2026. As you know, the Administration's proposed rollback of fuel economy standards could have dramatic impacts on air pollution and climate change. According to the EPA, the transportation sector has recently overtaken electricity generation as a leading sector for greenhouse gas emissions in our country. Not only have automakers already made significant investments in cleaner, more fuel-efficient vehicles, Senator Collins has long supported efforts to improve fuel efficiency for new emissions that are a major contributor to climate change. Halting this progress by rolling these standards back could cost American consumers and businesses billions of dollars at the gas pump and could hinder the competitiveness of American automakers. The administration's proposal moves us in the wrong direction. Senator Collins and Senator Reid, the chair and ranking member, of the Transportation Subcommittee on Appropriations have sent a letter to Secretary of Transportation Chow and EPA Acting Administrator Wheeler express, expressing their concerns about this proposal. Thank you.
2: Great, next up we have Sarah Nichols who is the Bangor City Councilor. A Bangor City.
4: Hello (laughs) Growing up in Maine I spent many summers with my dad traveling up to the top of Cadillac Mountain When I say a lot, I mean a lot think weeks over time, back and forth over a span of 10 years My dad actually did this for almost 20 But we weren't going up there to hang out and enjoy the beauty of Acadia as beautiful as it is We were going up there because my dad worked in the Air Bureau for the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, DEP. And he had the task of collecting thousands of data points in order to determine the quality of air in Maine. The site was part of a greater EPA program called PAMS. I'm going to read the acronym so you actually know. (laughs) Photochemical Assessment Monitoring Station. But we'll continue to call it PAMS for now. He would collect all this data over the course of years to determine how much ozone, benzene, and other particulates were in the air. It was honestly pretty cool stuff. And beginning and being the science nerd that I was, in high school, I decided to do a deep dive into the analysis of the three of these sites in New England to see if there were any overall trends. Apparently, there was, and it was downward. My analysis showed that the laws and policies that we pass as a government in order to improve air quality we're working and they work so well it worked my dad right out of a job <laughs> but don't worry he's employed <laughs> but as you can see breathing clean air and the importance of having healthy air is a strong principle of mine it's personal for me and it's clearly personal for all of you here in this room fast forward eight years later I'm out of college living in Bangor and contemplating running for local office I was compelled to run because I was concerned about how difficult it would be to get around Without a car, if you couldn't, in, this, in Bangor. I ran on a platform of improving pedestrian and bike paths in Bangor, and as well as overhauling our public transit system. And guess what? I won. I won because the people of Bangor care about the environment that we live in. <laughs> and we want communities that value livability, public health, and that it's affordable for all the people that choose to live here. Post-election, the city has been able to make headway in many of these areas. We've begun an extensive rehab process to our bus fleet so we can have extended hours. And thanks to a multitude of volunteers in the community, we have increased signage and walkability of our downtown and outer trails in Bangor. Furthermore, we just passed a bunch of ordinances last night in regards to winter walkability. (laughs) But all of this contributes to less carbon emissions in the air we breathe, which is the most important part. So when we hear that the current White House administration is going to roll back emission standards on vehicles, damn right we're going to be upset. (laughs) Our city worked hard and continues to work hard to ensure that we have a community that is affordable, accessible, and healthy, not only for us, but for our children as well. And rolling back these emission standards is going to be in the complete opposite direction of what we've worked so hard to avoid. We should be pushing to further improve our emission standards, not the other way around. And if this administration is going to fight for working people, like it claimed during the campaign season, then we should be fighting for stricter emission standards as these standards lead to a healthier mind, healthier body, and a healthier wallet for all of us. So thank you.
2: Next up, we'll hear from Kate Corlew, who's a Hampton resident and the assistant professor of psychology at uh, University of Maine, Augusta. Hi,
5: I'm Katie Corlew. For the record, I am a community psychology, and I work with the psychological and cultural impacts of climate change. But today, I am speaking from my own personal experience regarding the importance of the quality of the air that we breathe. I was reminded a while back of those um, pictures in Beijing that you see, where the air is yellow, and you can't see the skyline, and the air is basically like tangible Um, They look a lot like the pictures of the New York skyline and other cities in the United States 30 and 40 years ago. Um, We've spent decades cleaning up our air and our skylines such that it's no longer the current state of our cities here in the United States, although we do see it as uh, the skylines, the current air quality of cities around the world. The thing is, I have asthma. And I developed asthma as an adult, uh, not from genetics or hereditary asthma, but because I have lived in cities for most of my life with poor air quality. Um, About a decade ago, when I learned that I had asthma, uh, it was basically I had had what I later found out was a crippling asthma attack that lasted over a week because there was just a lot of poor air quality days. And on a particularly poor air quality day, I landed in the emergency room. Um, It seemed pretty much everyone in the city that I lived in with any sort of respiratory illness or sensitivity also wound up in the ER that day. The ER was so chock full of people that they were pulling doctors from all over the hospital. The doctor who treated me had never worked in the ER before, but they needed people with expertise in respiratory illness, and uh, they ran out of beds. They wound up treating me in a folding chair in the hallway um, after eight hours. Um, because there was just so many people who were there. When I moved to Maine four years ago, one of the things I was really excited about was breathing fresh air. Um, and then I went to Cadillac Mountain, and I saw the signs up there talking about how um, the particulates from Boston and the New England area wind up um, messing up our, our skylines, causing hazy skylines, but also you know, messing up our, our air quality here. Just this past week, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association released information about how the smoke from the wildfires over in the West Coast um, are here in Maine now. Um, We can't control every facet of air quality, but that only makes it more important for us to control those facets that we do have a say in. The clean car rollback puts us on a path back to where we were 40 years ago with heavy smog and acid rain the the pollution that will be here in Maine even if we aren't congested with traffic here it will come here some politicians like to talk sometimes about regulations like they're bad things but the thing is regulations are protections they're protections for people they're protections for us And I, for one, would much rather spend my money on uh, other things than fuel for gas-guzzling cars and emergency room visits for preventable respiratory illnesses and other emergencies. Um,
2: That's all I have. Thank you. Great. And next we'll hear from Dr. Noah Nesson.
6: Thank you. I'm Noah Nesson. I'm a family doctor and Vice President of Medical Affairs at Penobscot Community Healthcare here in Bangor. I think it's important to point out that the, the uh, Clean Air Act when it was first passed in 1970 wasn't because of aesthetic values. It's great to have blue skies and, and uh, clear water, but it was for health reasons. We knew then that the dirtier the air The more people would be sick, the more people would be hospitalized, the more people would die. And in fact, there had been events uh, here and in other countries of uh, temperature inversions and air pollution descending on cities and people dying immediately as a result of exposure to that that air pollution. What do we know from the science about air pollution? The adverse effects on children most especially impact their lung development, impairing their lung development, and that's a lifelong effect from chronic exposure to air pollutants. Children are more likely to suffer with allergies uh, when the air isn't clean. There will be more respiratory illnesses when the air isn't clean. There's an impairment of your antioxidant defenses through exposure to polluted air um, from car emissions. There's more asthma, as we just heard. We've known that for a long time. Um, Most especially from particulate matter, but also from other uh, uh, chemicals that we're exposed to in the air and there's an epigenomic effect that is if a child is raised uh, in an area of high air pollution and they have impairment of their lung function as as a result of that it can change their genetic structure so that their children and grandchildren then inherit that problem and that's something we didn't understand in 1970 prenatal exposure is important so women who are pregnant Um, and exposed to uh, unclean air, have lower birth weight infants, especially with exposure to carbon monoxide in the first trimester and to ozone in the second trimester. Those infants then, as a result of that exposure in utero, have more respiratory illness, have diminished lung function, have increased rates of sudden infant death syndrome, and increased deaths from other respiratory illnesses besides sudden infant death syndrome. The Clean Air Act we know when it was passed because the EPA was required to study the impact of the Clean Air Act after its passage and they've conducted three studies since 1970. It prevented 250,000 premature deaths and avoided millions of other non-fatal illnesses and saved an estimated $50 trillion to date. That's compared to an implementation cost of about a half a trillion dollars. So think about that return on investment. In a 2012 study, um, it was estimated that the newer amendments to the Clean Air Act would prevent 2.4 million million asthma exacerbations, 135,000 hospitalizations, 230,000 premature deaths, and would save $2 trillion with an implementation cost of $65 billion, another great return on investment. The EPA has estimated that Current fuel efficiency rules, the ones that the administration is trying to pull back, um, by by twenty thirty would the, would have a sixteen to one benefit to cost ratio um, in uh, savings in medical illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths. So there's hundreds of billions of dollars in healthcare cost savings from a modest investment based on the science that we've known since before nineteen seventy. We've actually known it for decades before that, um, and and with this warning, that the dirtier the air, the more people will become sick; the dirtier the air, the more people will be hospitalized; the dirtier the air, the more people who will die as a result of that exposure. It's imperative that we deal with this; um, that we continue to deal with it; that we not back up from uh, where we where we've come, uh, and that we recognize that in Maine we're especially impacted. Tomorrow there's going to be an air quality warning, and that means if you're a child with asthma um, or if you're an adult with chronic diseases, you've got to be careful about the activity that you undertake. That's a sad state of affairs. We can make it better. We can't make it better by going backwards on these emission standards. Thank you.
1: Listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM, I'm Amy Brown. This event, Maine Speaks on Climate and Cars, the Citizens Hearing, was sponsored by the Natural Resources Council of Maine to gather testimony for the EPA's public comment period on their plans to weaken fuel efficiency standards. It was recorded in Bangor last week. As you heard, it was on an evening when warnings were being issued about poor air quality the following day.
2: We'll hear from Ivan Fernandez, who's a professor at the University of Maine Climate Change Institute. Uh,
7: <clears throat> well, thank you. It's, uh, that was a great lead into my comments. In order to stay on time, Kelsey gave me orders to, relative to length of time, so I'll, I'll read my comments. Uh, My name is Ivan Fernandez. I've been a professor at the University of Maine for the past 35 years. I'm a soil scientist and a biogeochemist who studies the effects of air pollution uh, on ecosystems in Maine, uh, acid rain, heavy metals, and climate change. Over the past decade, I've been involved on behalf of the University of Maine's Climate Change Institute in leading assessments of climate change in Maine, known as Maine's Climate Future, which issued reports in 2009 and 2015. Uh, these assessments were about changing climate in Maine, uh, not in the far reaches of the planet, uh, and its consequences for Maine's citizens, farmers, foresters, fishermen and women, Native Americans, municipalities, and Maine businesses ranging from tourism to manufacturing. Uh, personally, I do not support a rollback of fuel economy standards, weakening controls on greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector, uh, or stepping back from regional packs to limit air pollution. The overwhelming evidence points to the growing costs and risks of air pollutants from a changing climate for Maine people and all Americans. Indeed, we are currently roughly on track for the highest IPCC, that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, trajectory of greenhouse gas emissions, Um, and uh, with, therefore, the worst consequences uh, of the possible scenarios that they uh, analyze And so we should be uh, limiting greenhouse gases, not allowing more greenhouse gases uh, into the atmosphere. Is there evidence of climate change in Maine? Yes. Uh, We're increasingly experiencing the effects of accelerating changes in the climate system in in Maine with more to come. Uh, We've got shorter winters, less snow, a longer growing season, rising sea levels, warming oceans, more rain and more drought intensifying storms, and perhaps of equal importance, increased uncertainty and variability in weather that burdens communities and small businesses across Maine. Do these, effect, do these changes affect Maine people? Yes, uh, Maine's marine fisheries are affected by both ocean acidification and warming. Clams, shrimps, and scallops are being negatively affected while invasive green crabs and jellyfish thrive. The Gulf of Maine, as probably most people in this room know, Is warming more rapidly than most of the uh, basins on the planet. Farmers are adjusting to an earlier spring sporadic late uh, season frosts, increasing intense precipitation events and paradoxically an escalating need for irrigation in late summer and more crop insurance. Health professionals are focusing on human heat stress, allergies, ozone, which we've heard about, uh, and uh, the march of Lyme disease northward across the state Lyme disease alone has transformed our relationship in Maine to the natural environment, both at work and in play, and tourists are taking notice. Decreasing snow cover influences the ski industry, snowmobilers, and a variety of winter recreation businesses, as well as other economic sectors like the forest industry, where we typically like to harvest uh, trees in the winter on frozen ground. Health professionals, foresters, and farmers are all concerned with changing risks from insects and disease, Winter minimum temperatures are warming faster than the averages, and it's the winter minimums that have typically been the ecological barrier that kept pests and pathogens from either uh, moving into Maine or expanding in Maine. Intensifying storms means that culfer sizes need to be bigger for roads in remote forests, national parks, towns, and on highways. Bridge repairs must accommodate the risk of larger storms. We don't only need to fix our infrastructure. We need to build in resilience uh, for the changing climate. Do these regulations cost? Doesn't it cost a lot? Aren't we going to ruin the economy uh, if we use science-based, evidence-based uh, regulations? As we already heard, the juxtaposition between the economy and the environment is often cited as a reason to delay action on greenhouse gases. But we've seen higher benefits from the, than costs from air pollution regulations such as lead and gasoline, mercury pollution, acid rain, uh, and tropospheric ozone. I'm going to refer to the same one of the same studies. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency estimated that for every dollar spent to implement the a, uh, acid rain controls from the 1990 reauthorization of the Clean Air Act uh, returned $30, central estimate, uh, in benefits to American citizens. The economic co-benefits to society of accelerated reductions in greenhouse gases to limit future rates of changing climate are likely to be large, Uh, and are also likely to deliver human health co-benefits as well as ecological benefits to Maine. So, if we burn less fossil fuels, number one, we reduce the effects on our climate system. Number two, we improve air quality, which has direct human health effects as well as ecological uh, benefits. Uh, And then number three, we reduce the direct chemical consequences of carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere. And on that third point, uh, we're talking about The gas, CO2, that's uh, at 400 and whatever, 5 ppm now. Um, That third point means to be commended in recent years for addressing, uh, by way of beginning to address, the risks of coastal and ocean acidification, uh, by way of a, a coastal and ocean acidification commission and various other activities. There's no ambivalence as to the cause of ocean acidification, as it is a direct result of the carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere. There are no reasonable mechanisms to reverse this trend in the open ocean through direct management. No one thinks we're going to go out and lime the oceans uh, to fix this acidification like we lime a farmer's field. The only way we will reverse open ocean acidification is by reducing carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere. If the only concern for rising carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere was ocean acidification, we would still have a, a burgeoning global crisis with Maine on the front lines. Thank you.
2: Next up, we have Joe Bushy from the Maine Public Health Association.
0: Good evening. Uh, my name is Joe Bushy. Um, I'm here on behalf of the Maine Public Health Association. MPHA represents more than 650 public health professionals throughout the state of Maine who are entirely committed to improving factors that control our health, including clean air and clean water. As Maine's Professional Public Health Association, our mission is to ensure that the health of Maine's peoples and places is protected so all Mainers have an opportunity to lead healthy lives, regardless of their income or where they live and, as I now mention, what their political party is. This is a nonpartisan issue. I'm here today in support of the Clean Car Standards, which were established in 2012, and are widely supported by automakers, unions, national security groups, public health practitioners, and environmental groups. As a result of these Clean Car Standards, autom- automobile fuel efficiency has dramatically improved reducing the impact of oil use, and bettering public and environmental health. As designed, these standards would nearly double the fuel efficiency of new cars and light trucks by 2025, which would save customers an average of $8,000 over the life of the vehicle. Rolling back these standards would increase pollution, harm public and environmental health, and raise families' costs at the gas pump by hundreds of dollars a year. Typically, gasoline contains more than 150 chemicals, including benzene and sometimes lead. Many of the harmful effects which are seen after exposure to gasoline are due to the individual uh, chemicals in the mixture, such as benzene and lead in very small amounts. A number of workers have greater risk of exposure to gasoline vapors, such as those who work at service stations, drivers of gasoline tank trucks, and refinery workers. By improving fuel efficiency in the cars that, we are, that are on the market, we are reducing Americans' need for gasoline, which will reduce exposure for employees and the general public. We also know that burning gasoline obviously releases greenhouse gases that worsen air quality and contribute to climate change. In Maine, we're in the unfortunate position of importing most of our air pollution from other states, which makes us, in essence, a tailpipe for the nation. This pollution hurts our air quality, which can increase the incidence and prevalence of respiratory illnesses such as asthma. According to the American Lung Association State of the Air report in 2018, there are currently almost 118,000 adults and 17,000 children in Maine who have asthma. An additional 71,000 have COPD. This year, starting in April, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection has already issued more than two dozen notices for poor air quality, and as we heard, there's another one scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, This makes it harder for people with respiratory illnesses or allergies to be active outside. It also means that more youth sports practices are getting canceled or moved indoors. It's critical to retain these clean car standards for public health, environmental health, and economic health that's all I've got.
2: Next we'll hear from Jeremy Vroom, who works with Cadillac Mountain Sports.
8: As a uh, young Mainer, as many of you know, um, if I left the state or went somewhere else, I'd probably have more opportunities, but I uh, because of Maine being known for our kind of outdoor um, industry, outdoor environment, um, I want to stay here and make a career in the outdoor industry. Um, and it's because of the strength of Maine's environment and natural resources fostering Maine's outdoor industry and economy, um, I'm able to do that. Um, and I'm not the only young Mainer that feels that way. Maine Outdoor Brands, which is a coalition of businesses and nonprofits. Uh, ranging from um, startups to L.L. Bean, uh, did a survey among their membership and found that the average age of employees uh, among their membership was 35, where the average age of employees um, across the state is uh, 45. Um, And so over the years, uh, I've worked a handful of different uh, outdoor industry jobs uh, from the ski industry, uh, which contributes $300 million to Maine's economy, Um, according to a Maine Development uh, Foundation report. Um, Yeah, every year the season gets shorter and shifts, um, and snowmaking costs rise more and more. Uh, In addition, uh, ski pass purchases, which uh, um, is a great deal of uh, revenue, Um, has been declining partially due to the backyard effect. Um, If there isn't snow in someone's backyard, whether that's in Massachusetts, southern Maine, wherever they may live, they just don't go skiing. Um, even if mountains still have plenty or if they're able to make it. Um, And then another uh, summer I was teaching kids uh, to mountain bike in western Maine. Um, I remember a few days the ozone levels were too high, so all of us kind of had to take it a little more easy that day, and uh, some kids um, affected by asthma or other breathing conditions had to sit out entirely. And uh, that's kind of a disappointing uh, day when their friends get to go biking and... They don't. Um, And so now I've ended up working on the business side of the outdoor industry as a buyer for Cadillac Mountain Sports. And uh, my family owns and operates another tour company uh, out of the Bar Harbor Airport. So I've become well aware of the impact that climate change is having on Acadia National Park. Uh, In 2016, I had 3.3 million visitors and had uh, $285 million in uh, visitor spending. And being a small but highly trafficked uh, national park at the tailpipe of the United States, it's uh, even more uh, vulnerable to air quality issues uh, such as uh, vehicle emissions um, affecting not only the air we breathe but the uh, air um, and scenic visibility. Today I went for a short lunchtime walk actually and you could barely see scudic Peninsula uh, from Bar Harbor. Um, someone mentioned earlier uh, the uh, smoke from the wildfires contributing to that as well. Uh, so under the Clean Air Act, Acadia is considered a class one airshed, which is the highest level of air quality protection. It is considered to have uh, some of the worst quality out of the uh, air, of all the national parks in the national park system. So while the park is in the midst of a uh, planning and implementing a new transportation plan to ease some of the car traffic in the park, uh, any progress towards improving its air quality, smog and visibility will be set back further if car emission standards are lifted.
9: Thank you.
2: And next we'll hear from Jeff Gratwick, Maine State Senator.
10: Good day. Excuse me. I have laryngitis. I'm going to whisper to you all with apologies. Um, but thanks, everybody, for being here. And I have um, two levels of remarks. Basically, what can we do? How are we going to go away from here feeling empowered? There's something we can do. And I think we have to go back to that old saw, you should think globally and act locally. Thinking globally is all about CO2. That's what we've been talking about, a lot of specific data here. I think that's very, very important. But then acting locally is really where where I'm at these days in my a particular stage of life. I've been a doctor here for 40 years, but now I've been in the legislature for six on the Environmental Natural Resources Committee. <clears throat> Two things. One, we can act indeed nationally, and this is really bringing resolves to Washington. The legislature will pass resolves saying there are all good things to do, and then this gets passed on to Washington. What happens there is a little unclear. The real benefit of a resolve that goes through the legislature is a conversation it, it engenders. And I think that you want a resolve. That's, that's going to get people thinking. It's going to not be an easy answer for it. And it really gets that confrontation going, gets dialogue going, gets people involved. There is a, a resolve that's coming up, I think, next January. Some people are involved in this uh, in terms of climate change. Very important very important to have people come and talk about that in the legislature. Will you change the laws? Who knows? Will you make an impact and talk with your neighbors and certainly get it in publicity? Uh, The answer is yes. The second area that I'm much more involved in are the specifics of bills that come through the legislature. I've been on the environmental and natural resource committee last year. We had 65 bills, probably about 30 of them relate to these areas here, and there's some some very good news and some very bad news. In other words, it, government is imperfect, but I think that the citizen input is incredibly important. The legislation on hybrid vi- vehicles went through. It was very appropriate. A lot of people worked on that, right? and I think it's a, a, a very appropriate. Um, some of the um, also good, there were bills to weaken the renewable energy credits and so forth. They did not go through. Again, a lot of energy, a lot of work went into that. Very good. Too bad the solar bills didn't go through. Uh, they went through, passed the legislature, um, both houses, governor vetoed, there were, there were not enough votes, people changed their votes and so they did not go through. Not good, more public pressure needed there. Energy efficient houses. Uh, 1392 a very important bill, one I care a great deal about makes ultimate sense um, that had a that did not go uh, the way one would wish um, The energy efficiency main went through um, the whole issue of hydro Quebec bringing a lot of uh, cheap energy through here and and really undercutting some of our um, wind uh, hydro um, uh, solar and uh, initiatives that did not go through, which I think was also a, a good thing. Uh, re, uh, Reginald, Reggie, the greenhouse gases initiative, uh, that uh, went through. In other words, it's a varied palette here. My recommendation is get involved with some particular initiative that really makes sense to you, and two or three people can make a difference. You come up with an idea, you talk to one of your local you know, legislators, and it's actually rather fun to be in my position because you, I learn a whole lot. And I like working with people. And the hearings are really very interesting. And that's where, that's where you begin to persuade people. My thought is that um, the issue of climate change is really all about energy. We have to do much more. Um, and this, I think the automobile emissions are part of this larger picture and it's something we all can contribute, and so I invite you all to be part of the solution of this, because it is here, this is a small state, and we can do it. Thank you very much.
1: Again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Main Currents on WERU-FM. This event... Maine speaks on climate and cars. The citizens' hearing was sponsored by the Natural Resources Council of Maine to gather testimony for the EPA's public comment period on plans to weaken fuel efficiency standards. It was recorded in Bangor last week on the evening, on an evening, when warnings were being issued about poor air quality the following day.
9: I'm Hendrick Gideons from Brooklyn, Maine, and I'm delighted to follow Senator Dr. Gradwick. He knows firsthand, because he's seen me for six years before ENR, if, if this were the Energy Committee, this would be close to the 50th, 50th testimony that I delivered over the last three years on energy policy. And Bangor 350, was a very important part of that because it was things that I got myself into with them that encouraged me to get on the larger energy issues. I brought copies of a presentation is twice as long as I'm gonna give. It's got more detail in it and I'll pass them out um, when I'm done. Um, The importance of your coming to Augusta is critical because they need a lot of help. The Trump administration seeks to weaken automotive mileage standards for the future, but in the more than 40 years since such standards were first proposed for reasons of public health, efficiency, cost, and conservation, a funny thing happened on the way to this forum. Humankind's became has become aware that we've entered into the Anthropocene or the Anthropocene, depending upon whether you're English or American, we have become the most significant new variable in defining Earth's climate. The result, as you all know, inundated cities, mass migration, violent weather, seriously unpredictable agricultural yield, and for all these reasons, the certainty of deep economic pressure, strife, and mass starvation. Grim. The peoples of the earth, wherever they may be and wherever they have any kind of authority to act, whether it be their kitchens or their congress, their consumption aspirations, their conservation commitments, their parliaments, or their industrial plants, etc., must seize the reins available to them and respond. We must carefully preserve and totally contain Earth's fossil fuel deposits as the smallpox virus of the Anthropocene. From this perspective, reversing course on mileage standards and clean power is not just petty crime, it is a set gun promising to severely cripple all of humanity. When we point our fingers of shame at misguided proposals to weaken federal fuel and clean power standards, we need to remember that three fingers point back at us. What are we here in Maine on our own going to do about getting off fossil fuels altogether? Where is our concerted effort to shift automotive propulsion energy everywhere to electricity. What are we doing in our own domain to modernize our own eminent domain proceedings? Yes, you heard me right. So that the burden of the changes we know we need to make does not fall unfairly on those of us who unknowingly made investments in decisions to sell gasoline and heating oil, etc. And uh, and having made those inadvertent, unknowing investments and decisions, and that public policy now dictates be reversed. When they take my property to give access to Center Harbor, they pay me. When we move from fossil fuels to electricity, we need to cover those among us who otherwise will be hurt. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. These are easy things to say. They're hellishly complicated to accomplish. We can't afford to wait, but we need to change our procedures as well as our policies. The executive agencies responsible for energy policies in Maine are an uncoordinated shambles. I'll stand by that, I can show you. They're unsupported by by sophisticated analytic capabilities. There's nobody doing the kinds of comprehensive main-based studies that need to be done to figure out how to orchestrate to that end. And while a citizen legislature has great strengths, it virtually assures a smattering at best of scientific and technical expertise. Jeff Gratwick is one of the handful of people in the legislature who understand firsthand what data collection is about, what scientific theory is about. Um, In addition, there are five different committees in the legislature who have responsibility for energy policy. Well, If you traversed the committee structure as I have in the legislature as a public advocate, you know that there are interesting, that's also true in the United States Senate, uh, uh, gulfs and barriers that develop between committees. And when you have five that are responsible, the overall result, you really need to to get on the issue. Less than 5% of Americans, my generation and older, have direct memories of the last time this nation had to organize itself to approach the kind of challenge that climate change now presents to us. America everywhere needs to show the same single-mindedness, the same zeal, the same sweeping scope and sacrifice that enabled us nearly 80 years ago to overcome the Axis threat. Climate change is a set of scientifically grounded, difficult-to-comprehend, long-winded physical and chemical processes that will have to be fully grasped and met with appropriate, complex, equally long-winded actions. We're talking three and four decades out. Beginning now, it may be too late in my opinion. In my intellectual gut, I'm pessimistic, but I got two grandkids, seven and three, and that's what keeps me going on this. Our work is cut out for us, those great and grand and great grandchildren are depending on us.
11: Hi, uh, my name is Sarah Starman, and I only recently moved here to Maine, so I'm a very new member of this community. Uh, But nevertheless, I care deeply about both the environment and public health, and I'm jumping right into getting involved with uh, taking care of those things here. Um, I am very opposed to the federal rollback of clean car standards for a multitude of reasons, but primarily because of the environment and public health. I think the outdoors is one of the greatest parts of both Maine and many other states. Um, And I think that we need to do whatever we can to protect that. And I also think that the public health issues associated with car emissions are a serious threat, as many of the doctors and scientists today have testified to. And as someone with asthma, I am directly affected by the air pollution and the quality of air and those are the two main reasons that I think that we should keep clean car standards. Thank you.
12: I'm Linda Mosley from Hamden and I have um, some experiences to share that really echo what I have heard around the room, but these are personal experiences. Like many of you, I live in Maine in part because it is a safe place to live. It is safe for our health. It's a safe place to go wandering in the woods and down the roads pretty much any time of day or night. One of the things I love to do is walk my dog. I love to go out my back gate, go through a field, and back into the woods and let him loose and let him run and be a dog where he can have fun. I can't do that anymore, the only time I can let him off leash in a wild area is winter when there's snow on the ground. The ticks are so bad, which I've lived here for over 30 years, was never an issue that I literally cannot let him out, even when there's snow if there's not a lot. That, to me, is a huge statement on changes in our climate. Second of all, I am, again, like many of you, an outdoor person. I love to be outside. All summer long, when the days are long, I get up early and I go for a run. I run with a friend for about four miles this summer, The weather conditions were so bad. The health conditions, the air conditions, the humidity, and the smoke, again, reflecting what's come down the the tailpipe, and also the changes in our weather patterns where we have extreme humidity have caused, much like many of you, my asthma to be so bad that I ended up on prednisone for the first time in a year and a half. Well, it meant I could run, so that was good, but not a nice place to be, given the side effects. Third, and probably the most painful for me, is I am a special education teacher. Today, we sat in school, having teacher uh, in service, with long um, discussions and, and um, training from our nurse. She talked about how she became a school nurse and had um, been surprised at the the, um, amount of asthma there is. We have a little girl starting tomorrow in kindergarten, her first day. She has a significant health condition. On her first day, she will probably not be able to go outside and play on the playground. Thank you. (laughs)
5: Richard Thomas
13: Hi, I'm from Waterville, Maine and um, I'm here because I think that this rollback is going to have a, a big effect on our grandchildren's and their children's lives and so their needs have to be considered in this decision now, Dr. Ramanathan is one of the world's uh, leading climate scientists. He's a professor at University of California at San Diego. And he took a look at the climate models that uh, the, our scientists have come up with to predict what's going to happen with our climate over the next, well, the rest of this century. He looked at models that are pessimistic, worst-case scenario, and they're very optimistic models if everything goes right. And most of them are in the middle. And what he concludes is that it's really most likely that if we stick with business as usual, by 2050, our climate will be dangerous, which means all the problems we're seeing now will be a lot worse. You know, droughts, hurricanes stronger, things like that, but still survivable. But by the end of the century, we will have a climate catastrophe And what that means, it's not yet really clear, but the range is between life becomes very hard and life becomes unsurvivable. So, well, it just doesn't seem like a real good thing to me. Uh, And I would like to make an appeal to the decision-makers who are watching this. The time may come, well, for all of us, when we're at a ripe old age, And our grandchildren will come up to us, and they'll say, why is it so bad? You know, I can't play outside, it's too hot, and my father can't work outside anymore. And there's not enough food. Why did it get so bad? And so I'm hoping that all of us, and you decision makers, can say at that point, we're really sorry, but I did everything I could to try to protect your lives. Thank you.
5: (laughs) Bill Wood.
14: Um, I'm a physician in Bangor, but more importantly, I have two teenagers. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about why clean car standards are being uh, opposed. Um, I think the science is self-evident about why we need them, but... What hasn't been talked about is that it benefits special interests and for-profit interests to externalize costs to what's called the commons. So if I make a car and it pollutes more and you bear the cost or we all bear the cost of the air pollution, that's okay if I'm making more money, right? So our democratic system needs to counter that market rationale. We need the market, the market works, but the market doesn't account for the commons uh... and unfortunately in the united states we have uh, probably the only democracy where our elections are mostly privately financed uh, in contrast to other democracies and there's rare exceptions like senator gratwick and a few other people who are have publicly financed campaigns but in general on the federal level politicians are for sale and the more money you have to donate the more power you have and the auto industry and other polluters have a lot of money to control the political process we do have some levers as citizens to counteract that, like this kind of hearing and public pressure. Um, But as I said, the science is self-evident. So I think it's important for us as citizens to not spend all of our time focusing on making the scientific argument, but also to get our hands dirty in politics uh, and engage like everybody here is now but write letters, write letters to the editor, go to meetings with, with officials, go to hearings in Augusta if you can, go to D.C., call their offices, everything that probably all, everybody here does, but perhaps not everybody listening to this today yet does. It's the only chance we have. We have a slim chance, but it's the only chance we have, is if there's public action and organization and outrage. Um, I drove here in my solar-powered car, I have an all-electric car, and it have solar panels, but, you know, that individual action is not going to save the planet The only thing that's going to save the future for my kids and everybody else's descendants is collective political action in a very corrupt, uh, biased system, but it's not a hopeless system. So thank you all for coming.
15: Hi, I'm from Bangor, Christina Diebold. Uh, last week, I went online and on to the NHTSA website. NHTSA stands for National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, I believe. Anyway, I made a comment there on why I was opposed to rolling back CAFE standards. That's the fuel car fuel efficiency standards and it really was quite easy and I would urge every one of you to do the same thing. Thank you. Anne Padresky Holden. Uh, About 20 years ago my husband and I went landed in Phoenix. We were going on a vacation and there was a warning about air quality. That hit me. I've never heard of that before in my entire life. It was a shock. In the interim, I bought a uh, Prius, which I absolutely adored, and one day I was at a light and the engine shut off, and I was like, oh, in a panic, but it shuts off. So the person behind me isn't sucking down my fuel, which I love. From that, we went into putting up solar panels and we are now a hybrid system at home, and I have a plug-in Prius which gets over 100 miles to the gallon in the summertime. And I feel that we have done everything we, almost everything we can do. What I didn't think about was increasing trees, which help our pollution. So I, have, I, I see everybody loves lawn in America, but nobody likes to put trees in it. Apple trees, pear trees, plum trees, I've got a whole orchard I'm planning. I've already put eight trees in already. So I'm doing something. I'm I'm really emotional about this. And to me, saving people's lives and not having them sick and paying for all the medical bills is a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer.
16: Hi. Uh, My name is Pamela Bell, and I live in Milford, and I live right on the Penobscot River. I understand that this government is proposing to freeze um, CAFE standards for cars and small trucks at the current level. This effectively disallows any increase in fuel efficiency standards, which Obama increased in 2012 to reach 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. Of course, since Obama did it, um, the opposing party uh, must get rid of it, regardless of what's good or right to do. Um, Europe has cars that get 60 miles to the gallon, why don't we? Electric cars can be fueled by solar or wind or other renewable technologies, but no longer by ancient deposits of once-living carbon sequesterers. Uh, burning these carbon-rich materials releases their carbon into the atmosphere of CO2, destabilizing the planet's ability to maintain this earth as habitat for our species and for many other species. In a sense, we are reversing uh, part of the evolution of this planet. It's just crazy to even be discussing the possibility of making it unlawful to build ever more energy-efficient transportation systems. We must instead be doing absolutely everything we can think of to halt the further destruction of our planet's ability to sustain an environment that allows... We're
1: going to have to leave that there because we're out of time, but those are some of the voices from an event called Maine Speaks on Climate and Cars, the citizens' hearing that was held in Bangor last week, sponsored by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. The deadline for comments to the EPA is October 23rd, More information is available at NRCM's website, which is nrcm.org, and at the EPA's website, which is epa.gov, where you can search for safer, affordable, fuel-efficient vehicles, and that will bring you to a page where you can submit comments. I'll also put a direct link on the archives of today's program, which will be archived later on today at weru.org. That will link you to the page for more information and to submit comments yourself if you're interested. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Join me here on the first Thursday of each month. And stay tuned for On the Wing, Mark Dyer's in the house, getting ready to come right up here and bring you some music here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org.